Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a psalm of trusting the Lord as we pick up in Psalm chapter 31, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Psalm 31. This 31st Psalm is actually divided into three sections. The first one covering the first eight verses. The second one covering verses 9 through 18. And then the final section from 19 to the end of the Psalm. In the first section of the Psalm, with David, it's sort of a mixture between trust and trial. In the next section, the trial is overcome by the trust. And then in the final section, it is the triumph of the trusting in the Lord. So the first section through verse 8, the trusting and the trials. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. So a prayer of David, declaring that he put his trust in the Lord, asking God to deliver him, asking God to hear him and to hear him speedily. I like that. When I pray, I like God to hear me speedily. I really don't like it when God says, wait, or when he exhorts me towards patience. I like, I'm a man of action, and I like God to work quickly when I'm in trouble. Be thou my strong rock and a house of defense, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Now David often speaks of God as his rock and as his fortress. I guess you would have to really go over to the land of Israel to appreciate this fully. The Israelis have a joke that they will tell you when you first arrive. They will say that God dispatched two angels to distribute the rocks over the face of the earth. And that the one angel went all over the earth, scattering his rocks, sort of spreading them out all over the entire earth. And the other angel just was tired, and so he dumped all of his rocks on Israel. (laughs) It is a rocky place. But the rocks afforded a tremendous place of defense in those days. And so in speaking of God as a rock, you are speaking actually of of God being a shield to you, a defense. So God is my rock. He is my place of defense. 
He is my fortress. And oftentimes God is spoken of in the figure of a rock. Now, in the Proverbs, there are three things on the earth that are small, or there are three things on the earth, yea, four, that are small but exceedingly wise. And he speaks of the conies. They're just a feeble folk. It's sort of a, a coney is sort of uh, related, I think, partly to the rabbit family. It looks something like a rabbit, and yet, on the other hand, it looks sort of like an overgrown rat. Down in En Gedi, when you go in there, there's a lot of reeds along the stream, and there are hundreds of these conies down in that area. And the scripture says the coney is a feeble folk. It's actually a very defenseless kind of an animal. It is sort of a, well, it really is, is a defenseless animal. It doesn't have any way of defending itself from a predatory type of an animal. And so it says a coney is a feeble folk, but he makes his home in the rock. So the conies crawl back in the rocks, and the wolves or whatever can stand on the outside and bark and howl and all, but they can't get to them. So it, it's actually the four things on the earth, small, exceeding wise. The coney is one of them. The wisdom is knowing its weakness. It has enough sense to make its home in the rock. Now, we knowing our weakness ought to have enough sense to make our home in the rock. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. I know that I am weak. I know that I cannot really defend myself from the attacks of the enemy. I know his powers. I know his wiles. I know his guises. I know that I am no match. So it's so important, knowing my weaknesses, that I make my home in the rock, Jesus Christ, who then becomes my rock, and my fortress. And then asking God to lead me and guide me for his name's sake. Pull me out of the net that they have privately laid for me. For thou art my strength. For into thine hand I commit my spirit. This is what Jesus, of course, cried from the cross at the time of his death. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities. Thou hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large room. Now we enter into the second section where the trial is overcome by the trust. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my belly, for my life is spent with grief. My years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance, 
They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man. Out of mind, I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. So they've set a net for David. They're talking about him. His life is filled with grief and sighing. He is a reproach of his enemies. Even his friends have forsaken him. They treat him like a dead man, out of mind, like a vessel that is broken of no further value. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. And let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Into the final session now, the triumph of his trusting. Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewards the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. So the triumph of trusting and then the encouragement of others. Having experienced the help of God, I then seek to share and to encourage others to also receive God's help and God's work in their life. Now, this next psalm is thought to have been written at the time of David's sin with Bathsheba. After the prophet of God, Nathan, had come to him and spoken to him of that sin. We will get another psalm that relates to this same situation in Psalm 51, another of the penitent psalms. David had many wives, and yet... One day, while standing on the roof of his house and looking over the city of Jerusalem, he saw on the roof of a house nearby a beautiful lady bathing. And he was attracted to her. And he sent his servants over to her house to bid her to come to him. And David had an adulterous affair with her, her husband at the time was out fighting with the armies of David under the leadership of Joab. David received in a few weeks a message from her, I'm pregnant. And David ordered that her husband be brought home from war. And he 
sort of just said, well, how are things going? How is the battle going? How are the men? How's the morale and all? And then he expected the guy to go home and spend the night with his wife. What he was hoping is that the guy would go to bed with his wife and then later on when she says, I'm pregnant, the guy would never know the difference. But it didn't quite work out that way because this fellow, rather than going home, spent the night on the porch of David's palace with David's servants. And in the morning it was told David, he didn't go home last night, he spent the night here. And David called him in and said, you know, why didn't you go home? You had this wonderful opportunity to be with your wife. And the fellow said, well, he said, all of my buddies are out there in the trenches. And it wouldn't be right for me to enjoy uh, a night with my wife when all of my buddies are still out there in the field fighting. So David that day got him pretty drunk, thinking that if, I get it, if he gets drunk enough, he'll stagger home and still never know the difference. But he only staggered to David's porch and again spent the night there. And so David was faced with a dilemma, and he took a tragic way out, a horrible way out. For David ordered Joab, his general, to put this fellow into the thick of the battle and then to withdraw the other troops from him that he might be killed. And the ploy worked. Uriah was killed. And David then took Bathsheba as his wife. The child that was born became very sick. David prayed. The child died. And then the prophet Nathan came to David. And the prophet said, David, there was a man in your kingdom who was an extremely wealthy man. He had many servants, many flocks. Now, next door to him, there lived a very poor man who had just one lamb. And the lamb was like a child. It went to bed with him. It ate at his table. And it was just a pet, a family pet. Now, this very wealthy man had friends come for dinner. And he ordered his servants to go and by force take the one lamb from his poor neighbor and kill it in order that he might feed his guest. And David became very angry, and he said to the prophet, That man shall surely be put to death. And Nathan said, David, thou art the man. Now, David's response to that was that of repentance. David's actions were terrible. The scripture in no wise seeks to excuse the actions of David, but it they also do point out the repentance of David. This is thought to be a psalm that relates to that period of David's life when he was going through this guilt of sin. This, this, he was trying to carry it. He was trying to hide it. He was trying to bury it. And, and going through the guilt of this illicit affair. And this particular psalm relates to this period. And David begins the psalm by saying, Blessed, which is, oh, how happy 
is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Oh, what a happy moment it is when I have that assurance that my transgression has been forgiven, that my sin has been covered. Now, there is a difference between a transgression and a sin. A sin is not always a willful act. The word sin comes from a root word which means to miss the mark. God says, here's the mark. I want you to hit it. All right. And I take aim and I miss. Now, I may not deliberately miss. I may be trying to hit it. I might just be a poor shot. That's still a sin. I have missed the mark. Whether it's deliberate or just a, a, a lack of weakness or failure, it is still missing the mark that God has set. That's why the Bible says all have sinned. The Bible calls you a sinner. And you may get uptight about that. But God said, you've all missed the mark. Now, when I tell you the mark is perfection, that's what God wants you to be. Then, is there anyone here willing to stand up and say, I've hit the mark? I'm perfect? Look at me, I'm Mr. Perfect. No, I think we'll all confess, I've, I've missed the mark. Not always willingly. I, I've, I've sought to be a better person than I really am. I'm not as good as I would like to be. I've missed the mark. A transgression is a little different because transgression is a willful, a deliberate missing of the mark. It's a deliberate action of disobedience on my part. God says, here's a line. Now, Chuck, I don't want you to go over that line. And I get busy with my activities. I'm not paying any attention. All of a sudden, I'm over here on the other side of the line, and God says, hey, hey, wait a minute. There's the line I told you not to go over. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgot all about it. I hmm, didn't mean to. I still went over it, but it was a sin, and it was a missing of the mark. It wasn't really a deliberate, willful kind of a transgression. Whereas if God says, here's a line, Chuck, now don't you cross over it, and I step over and say, okay, God, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> that is a deliberate, willful transgression. Many times, sins compound into transgressions. I start off innocently enough, but then rather than repenting and turning, I seek to try to cover it and hide it and, and all, and it compounds until it becomes a transgression. But either way, oh, how happy I am when it's all forgiven, when it's all over, when it's all covered. Oh, how happy is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. 
in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, David had done his best to deceive. I mean, he was trying to set up Uriah, you know, go home and spend the night with Uriah. And, and he was trying this whole deceitful little scheme. But he's talking now about an interesting experience here. Oh, how happy is the man to whom God does not impute iniquity. Now, I think that many people, because of Santa Claus, have gotten a wrong concept of God. And many people think of God as a glorified Santa Claus. That just anything I want, all I have to do is come to God and just tell him what I want him to lay under my tree this Christmas, and God will give me anything that I insist on, anything that I believe for, anything that I'll confess, God will give to me, because after all, he's just a Santa Claus waiting to hear my request. And in carrying this concept of God as Santa Claus, we know that Santa Claus is making out a list and checking it twice and going to find out who's naughty and nice. And if you've been naughty, you're going to get a bundle of sticks. You know, he doesn't bring toys to bad little boys. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study, the book of Psalms, on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Psalms 31 through 32 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. And now may the Lord be with you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you through this week. May the grace of God abound towards thee in all things, that you might experience the full richness of his love and of his grace towards you in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in his name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Through the course of the years, you, our radio listeners, have provided us with valuable feedback as to what has impacted you the most, or what has moved you spiritually in your walk with God. So it's with great pleasure that The Word for Today is pleased to offer you a collection of all-time favorites entitled Pastor Chuck Smith's Most Requested Bible Studies. 
These messages were selected from thousands of studies that were recorded live at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa over the past 40 years. They represent the very best Bible studies by Pastor Chuck Smith. Every message is dynamic and filled with rich insights as Pastor Chuck expounds upon relevant issues on a variety of topics related to the Christian faith. This series will strengthen and inspire you to diligently study the Word of God and apply it to your life. You can order a copy of Pastor Chuck's most requested Bible studies available on MP3 by calling the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. 